Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Hello, Bridge Church and Bridge family. Let me tell you, it is so good to be here with you all and outside of my apartment. Praise God. Praise God. No, truly, it's an honor and a privilege to be up here speaking and preaching the word of God. So first, I just want to give honor to God and thank Pastor James for the opportunity. And thank you all for tuning in and your support along the way. It's really meant a lot to me. And actually, you know why I'm in the spirit of just saying thank you. I want to just give a huge shout out and thank you to the people who are here putting on the production of Bridge Church, the online experience. If you're at home, if you could just give them a round of applause because this is official, okay? This is so official. So thank you from everyone from worship team to the pastors to those working the camera, social slides. Thank you so much for how you're serving our community. I appreciate it. Well, as Pastor Russell mentioned, again, my name is Angelica King, and I've been a member here at Bridge Church for about four years now. And before coronavirus and before all of the fireworks, you know, that's how I'm trying to orient my life is what was even life before, you know, fireworks? Did I get a night's sleep? I don't remember. Anyway, before all of this, I did a lot of my ministry with Bridge Kids and specifically the elementary aged kiddos in the Adventures class. Shout out to the Adventures class. What, what? It's funny because when Pastor James first asked me to preach, um, I blacked out. I blacked out. I was like, what? Who? No. Whoa. Whoa. When I came to and had some time to think it over and mull it over, I was like, well, I mean, I don't know, Angelica, it could be exciting to have an audience of people that don't interrupt you every five minutes for a bathroom break or a water break or me having to ask them, okay, everybody be quiet and sit down. No? Okay, cool, 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 cool. Whatever you want to do, you know, it's all you, right? I was like, adults, <laughs> this could be exciting. Well, I feel the Lord saw my growing excitement for having an audience of adults here who were, knew where their seats was, number one, and didn't interrupt me, was quiet and focused and laughed at all my jokes. And I feel like God raised me what is now a completely online experience. So it's probably going to be quieter than I could have ever imagined. So thank you, Lord, for your sense of humor, right? No, we're going to have a great time today. We're actually going to be continuing into the Proclaim series, and we're coming into John chapter 10, verse 22. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. But we come to a story where Jesus is asked to prove his identity. Matter of fact, the entire book of John was written so that we may believe, right, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior. In John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And our society is built on this idea of proof of identity as well. And no, nobody knows this more than me when we used to go to restaurants. I mean, RIP to the dining experience. But when they used to let us into restaurants, um, I would go to happy hour or dinner after work with friends. And uh, everyone would order. It'd be my turn. I'd be so excited. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get fries for the table. You're welcome. And I'm going to get a glass of wine. I'm going to get this one right here. And the server would look at me and look at my friends and then look back at me and say, let me see some ID. And I'm like, ah, why you got to see my ID? I'm a full grown adult. You didn't ask anybody else to see their ID. You know, I try to get a little bit loud, you know, to cause a scene, but I know why they're asking me. It's um, because I have this condition. (laughs) 
I have this condition where I look like I'm 16 years old and I have for over a decade. Oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. There's nothing I can do about it. When people ask me what school I go to, I'm like, I'm an adult actually, so no. So much so when I was getting ready to come and preach, I was like, Angelica, you got to dress up a little bit. You know, you don't want someone tuning in for the very first time to Bridge Church to think that they're having a youth Sunday and <laughs> that we have one of the high schoolers up here preaching. No, I'm an adult. I got to let everybody know. Tis why I have a blazer on in July. Like, I'm just trying to prove it. Come on. I'm trying to prove my identity. Have you ever had to prove your identity? I ended up getting my passport here in New York City a number of years ago, and you go downtown in Manhattan to the passport office, and you bring with you, right, right, every document that says your first and last name, every document that someone would need in order to steal your identity, yeah, you should bring that with you, right? You have your birth certificate, your social security card, you have your driver's license, your state-issued ID, whatever, on the site, it's like three from column A, two from column B, one from column C. Oh my gosh, I get there to the office, and I'm passing the lady all of these documents and at one point I'm like do you, I feel like we had enough right like do you ever feel like this might be too much well, I feel like we're constantly having to prove our identities even when we log into our phones right we'll put our passcode in so that our phone knows that it's us and some of you all who may trust the government a little more than me may have your fingerprint on there or your facial recognition for your phone like these are all ways we're proving our identity why because proof of identity is needed for trust and access, right? We're not going to give you access to this particular banking app or your phone in general. We're not going to give you a passport if you haven't proven who you are, if we don't trust that you say who you are. So that is the title of today's message, Proof of Identity. And again, we're in John chapter 10, verse 22, and it starts with, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, the Feast of Dedication, for a quick context here, would be modern-day Hanukkah. So we're getting the setting and the characters of who are in the story today. We have Jesus, who is important to note that he's minding his own business and having a holiday stroll. And then you have the other group that approaches him. It's a group of Jews or Pharisees. And their question for Jesus is, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we'll see Jesus start to unpack that and answer that. Another bit of context we'll need to know is that this is not a particularly friendly group of Jews, right? This group is actually coming not to serve Jesus, but to kill him. They're not looking, hey, Jesus, you know, we know you've been walking a bunch. Can we wash your feet? Jesus, are you tired? We can give you somewhere to stay. Are you hungry? We can fix you something to eat. No, this is not that message. This is a group of people, again, who's not looking to serve him, but to hear something they don't like, charge him up, and kill him. So that's the context of the story here. And Jesus is going to answer their questions with three things of who he is and how they'll know that he's the Christ. And I'm just going to tell you right now because the suspense is killing me. One is that he is a miracle worker. Two is that he is a shepherd of sheep. And three is that he is the son of God. So we pick it back up in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So the first thing that he says is you'll know that I'm the Christ based on the works that I do. And some versions will say works, others will say good works, even more will say miracles. So we'll use all of those here. But Jesus is saying, you'll know that I'm the Christ based on the miracles that I do. Well, what miracles are those? We're in John chapter 10 right now. In the first nine chapters of John, we see account after account after account of the miracles that Jesus is doing. He turned water into wine at that wedding. He told the layman, pick up your mat and walk. He healed him and he fed the 5,000 plus, which is fish and loaves of bread. Jesus was doing miracles and and God is doing miracles today in our world right now, even in the midst of COVID season. I mean, how do you explain how many of you have remained employed at a time when unemployment rates have skyrocketed and yet your company or your job has had a round of layoffs and furloughs and yet your name was in the safe column? How, how do we explain that, but not for a miracle? And, and how do we explain how people are heal, healing from COVID-19, how people are surviving COVID-19 and walking out of hospitals after being on ventilators for days and weeks? How does we explain this if not for a miracle? And don't even get me started on Bridge Church specifically. How in a recession are we experiencing overflow? How do we have thousands and thousands of dollars that we're giving away to different ministries, to different people in need when the world is experiencing a recession? We have excess. How do we explain that if not for a miracle? He's doing miracles in our lives and not so we can walk around and smile, but it's because, remember when I said, Proof of identity is needed for trust and access. He's giving us these miracles as proof of who he is. Why? So that we may give him a little bit more of our trust. That we may give him a portion of access to our heart. These are the miracles that we're experiencing. They're proof. What miracles are you seeing in your life? And the second thing that he says is that he is a shepherd of sheep. Verse 26 says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He talks about he's a shepherd of sheep. Where is this sheep story coming from at the beginning of chapter 10, we see him go into this story of being a good shepherd. So he's leaning on that here and he's making a distinction between those that follow him and believe in him, that he is the Christ. Those are his sheep and those that do not yet believe, right? And so what he's saying about his sheep is that he knows them very well. This is a whole following. This is a crowd of people wherever he goes. You'll know that I'm the Christ by look at these people who believe in me already, right? And he says something specific about his sheep. They hear his voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, if we were to consider ourselves as Christians a part of his sheep, we have to ask ourselves, what voice moves us? What voice do we listen to and follow, right? Is it our manager who told us that our time off request was denied? We heard them, but we still booked our trip to Mexico, pre-COVID, of course, right? Like we heard them, but we did not follow them. We did not obey what they said. Is it your hype squad? I like to call them my hype squad because you get around and they start hyping you up, hyping you up to make bad decisions, right? Like are we, we're listening to them and we're following them, but that is not the way of God, right? Or maybe it's a significant other, 
a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's telling you that a boundary is not a real boundary or that maybe your faith doesn't always apply in every situation. Whose voice is moving us? Why? Because the voice that moves us and the voice that we listen to and follow, that's the voice we trust. And that's the voice that we've given access to influence our actions. Is God's voice the voice that you listen to and follow? Hmm. Now, the third thing that he says is he claims to be the son of God. And this is really the mic drop moment. But I won't drop this mic because I feel like it's expensive. But you get it, right? In verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What he's talking about here is his authority. So you have to understand the Trinity of God, right? There's three distinct persons, but one being. There's God, the Father, Jesus, who is the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they make up the one being of God. You could say it differently and say that there's three roles, but one goal. They have the same mission and they have the same goal. So we can understand that part. And then he says, hmm, it says, my God or my Father is greater than all. So he's acknowledging the authority of God. So you put those two together. We're doing just a little bit of math here. You must understand what he's saying is that God has all authority and yet we are one being. So basically transfer the authority that you would give to God to me because my father and I are one. He's talking about his authority here. And again, when we start to understand God's authority, we have to ask ourselves, listen, is God greater than all in all of the areas of your life? Or does he come second? Or sometimes is the door completely shut to him altogether? What about if I said, if God, is God greater than the plans that you had for your life to, to live in this city and marry this person and have this career? If God were to say no or not yet, would you still follow him? Would you still serve him? Is God the authority in your life? That's what he's talking about here. So Jesus makes those three points that he's a miracle worker, that he is a shepherd of sheep and that he is the son of God. So we get back into the story. The Jews didn't like that very much. In verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again. Oh, so they've done this before to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Now, this part isn't necessarily mentioned in scripture, but with my spiritual imagination, I imagine that after Jesus asked that question, the group of Jews are looking around like, that was a really good question. Hold on one second. Do you mind if we just regroup for a second? They were to just come here and be like, well, uh, what do you think? Because that was kind of a really good point. Well, no, that's not going to work. Well, what if we said that? That's not going to work either. Um, I got it. I got it, right? Come back into the story. And in verse 33, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God blasphemy. That's interesting because Jesus asked them for which good work and they answer with blasphemy. Why? Because they realize that, well, we can't really be mad at the guy who's turning water into wine. I mean, I kind of want that guy to come to my next party. We don't mind that he's a miracle worker, right? We don't mind necessarily that he is a shepherd of sheep and he has a, a crowd of people who are following wherever he goes and he knows them well and they listen. We don't really care about that. What we care about is him claiming to be the son of God. You can't say that. That's blasphemy. Why? The, the, the claim of blasphemy implies that someone has said something that is sacrilegious, that you are saying something that is disrespectful to God. 
But I think Jesus and the Jews both knew that it wasn't what he said. It's about what he meant. Because if he was meaning that he assumed the authority of God, what does that mean for them? It would mean that they would have to trust him and they would have to give him access to their heart. There would be something in them that would have to change. So they said, no, that's not happening, right? You are not the son of God. That's blasphemy. In essence, they said, yo, daddy ain't your daddy. Ooh, ooh. Okay. And what's funny is that we do the same thing. We love to see God as a miracle worker. I mean, listen, I love to see a good sign or a wonder any day of the week, right? We used to go into tests and show enough didn't study for the test. And oh God, heavenly father, I'm calling, right? Like we just are praying because we know we didn't study and we're looking for a miracle. We love to see stories of miracles of God. And we like to see God as a shepherd. We like to know that he's leading us and he's comforting us and he's caring for us. And, and, you know, we can hear his voice. He has a relationship with us. And look at all these other people who are following him. We're all following him together, right? There's a bunch of us together. But a lot of times in our society, the most difficult part is assuming that God has authority in your life, that he's able to tell you what to do and lead and direct you and guide you. And you're not necessarily making decisions on your will, but you're making a decision on God's will. Does he have authority in your life? We're talking about authority Mm. because that's much more difficult to do. And so we get to verse 31, verse 34, and Jesus answers them. Is it not written in your law? And other versions will say scripture. I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said that I am the son of God? And this part could be a little bit confusing, but what Jesus is doing is countering their claim of blasphemy by using the scripture. And he's referencing this passage in Psalms 82 and 6 that is calling a group of likely Israel's judges who were acting as God's representatives. It's calling them gods, regular people. He's calling them gods. And so Jesus is saying, well, how is it when I say I am the son of God, that's blasphemy. But when they say it, it's fine and normal and everybody moves on. To to make this example just super clear, go with me here. Imagine this story were to happen in the UK, right? Come with me across the pond, right? We're over here in the UK. In British history and culture, there is a ranking, right? There's titles of nobility. You have the king and the queen and Princess Diana. And then you have dukes and duchess, what formerly Meghan Markle, right? And you have earls and barons. And in Scotland, they refer to barons as lords. Uh, Any keeping up with the Kardashian fans would know one season, Scott Disick just became a lord, right? You can assume that title. Any kids in the room know from Shrek, Lord Farquaad is a regular person, but we call him Lord. You can imagine this story were to take place there and Jesus were to proclaim, I am Lord. And the people would be like, no, 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 you're not. You can't just say that, right? That's a reserved title. But it's not about language or terminology. It's about authority. That is the most important part here. That's what Jesus is making clear. And mind you, this part really blows my mind. In the story, these people who he's talking to still have stones in their hand. They are still actively about to launch and kill Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, that's interesting because remember that story in the passage in Psalms 82. And and you're like, get out of there, Jesus. What are you doing? Right? We don't see him necessarily afraid or, or start to worry or question. I wrote it better. I said, he doesn't try to save his own life, but instead he's trying to save their eternal lives. They're picking up stones and he's trying to save their souls. Why? 
because proof of identity is needed for trust and access. Jesus is likely thinking, well, well, maybe if I can answer their questions, why am I the Christ? Well, because remember, I'm a miracle worker and I'm a shepherd of sheep and, and I am the son of God. And no, that's not blasphemy because remember, look at this passage. If he can go back and forth with them and, and help answer their questions, well, maybe they could give him a little bit of their trust, right? And, and maybe he'll get access to their heart. Maybe he'll, they'll become a part of his sheep. And then, you know, they could hear his voice and follow him. And most importantly, he could give them eternal life. Have you ever had to work so hard to give somebody a gift? He's trying to give them the gift of eternal life. And if he's willing to walk through the trenches with them and any doubts and any questions that they have with their stones raised trying to kill him, how much more would he do for you? that is bringing your questions or some of your reservations, any doubts or insecurities that you have, that you just had a question for the Lord. How much more would he do to help you to understand? That's what he wants. Why? Because your trust is that important to him. He loves you so much that he's willing to go through and prove himself to you. When his last statement, he makes it super clear for them. And I'm almost done, by the way. <laughs> Verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Why does he keep going back to these good works and these miracles? Well, I personally believe that it is the easiest way to open the door of understanding to see uh, Jesus is human and Jesus is God. He is doing things that not the regular human has the ability to do. He's calling the name of someone who's dead and they're raising to life again. This is not a human ability. It is a God-like quality. And I know because I've been 100% human all my life and never have I once called the name of somebody who's dead and they rose to life. Hello? This is not a human ability. So if you can start to understand, well, he's doing a lot of miracles that not all of us are able to do, then he must be some part God. And you could walk around that a couple of times and start to put it together that he must be in the Father and the Father is in him. And, and these, again, are just stories in the Bible about how Jesus is doing miracles. But again, God is doing miracles today in our time. Would you believe the miracles that are happening right around you? Would you believe the miracles of your friends and your family? Would you believe my story? And I alluded to this in the beginning as a general story, but it's actually my testimony. And in April, um, my company had a round of layoffs and furloughs, and I had just recently switched positions in the company. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I, I think I'm gonna be losing my job, thinking that, well, the last one in is you know, usually the first one out. And I didn't, listen, I didn't have proof of the work that I could do in this role. I, I couldn't point to specific sales and say, that was me. I didn't have any new business that I brought in. I was brand new. I didn't have anything. And so, well, it was a really stressful day. But at the end of the day, my name was in that safe column. And I was just thanking God. God, you're so faithful. Why? Because I didn't have any proof. But God is using this story as proof of him being faithful, even when I didn't have the proof. There are stories after story. How many stories you want to hear, right? Like these are the things that God is showing us. Because one thing I know for sure is that he doesn't get tired of showing us. He, he doesn't get impatient. And I'm reminded of myself when I was at that passport office and 
I'm bringing out document after document and I'm like getting frustrated with the lady because I'm like, this is enough, right? Like, come on. Do you want to see my Costco card? Like I am Angelica. Give me the passport. Stop. I was getting impatient, like rolling my eyes and she was low-key taking her time, but it doesn't matter, right? So we were there and I'm like, oh, I'm getting impatient. A lot of times we think that God is impatient like that as well, but he's not. He wants to show us. He wants to give us proof. And so the question is, what does God need to prove to you tonight in order to gain your trust and access? Tell him. And for some of us, we may be believers. And, and I want you to know that it's okay to ask for more proof. Hello, I had to ask for more proof to be doing this sermon right now, right? I event, or, or initially I said, oh, absolutely not. But then I had to say, well, God, I mean, if this is what you're calling me to, I, I just need a little bit more proof. And then I took a step of trust and a step of faith. And I just need a little bit more proof as well, just to be sure. And, and we're not the only people who have asked for proof. I'm reminded of Gideon in the Old Testament and Judges chapter 6 and 7. And in Psalms 13, you'll see accounts of people asking for more proof. Tell him today. What, what do you need more proof of him to say? And some of you all may not consider yourselves necessarily among his sheep, but you just still have some questions that are on your heart. Still have some questions for God and this whole Christianity thing. And I want you to know as well, you should ask him. You should tell him what proof you need because sometimes he needs to tell us individually, right? Nobody can tell that story like I did. That's my testimony and he needs to give you some proof as well. So, so what does he need to prove today? Is it about his identity? Is it about his healing? Do you need healing in your life? Is it maybe about comfort or provision? Is it justice? I want to see God's justice. Do you want to see that? Or righteousness? Whatever it is, tell him and ask for proof. So that's our prayer tonight. God, prove it. Whatever it is, prove it, Lord. And then when he does, remember, there's two halves to this. One half is that God would provide the proof, right, of identity. The other half is that we would meet him with an effort of our trust and that we would give him access to our hearts, right? We have to be willing to go in with trust after he proves it, because I know that he will. One thing that I know is there's no shortage of proof. He's looking to tell us more. It's, it's, it's an account of us searching for him when we ask. So again, our prayer tonight is God, prove it. And I'm excited to see his glory as evidence for us all. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have done what, what only you can do. God, we are asking for proof of your identity. We need to see more. We just need other examples and other evidence to know where you're leading us, to know that, that you want a part of our heart. That, that you love us that much, that, that you want our trust, Father God. We just have questions and doubts and insecurities, so we lay them at your altar, God. We bring them to you and we say, God, prove it. Whatever it is, you know exactly what we're praying. Prove it, Father God, so that we can start to trust you and have faith. I know that you will do it, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. 
If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclays Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.